to another session on our path out of too many somewheres into a happy nowhere. Where have you been today? Where have you been today? (laughs) Where are you now? What is it that doesn't change? Is there anything that doesn't change? (laughs) Really? Sights, sounds, moods, feelings, places, so on. Where does it all go to? Can you hold it? Can you just uh, encompass this? Yeah, we probably realize the mind can go forward fast and slow, it can spin round, it can go back. Meditation is based on the fact that the mind can also open, not forward, not back, not not (laughs) spinning round, but it's opening. It can open to encompass, embrace, this uh, encompassing entire world, the phrase that comes up. Rather than going from this place to that place, or this person to that person, it's encompassing the entire world. And in the Buddhist uh, use of the word world, we don't mean purely planet Earth or even planet Earth at all, but the world of our experience, where there are parents and relatives and friends and dogs and crises and things to do and so forth and, and oneself with all its strange trembling vulnerabilities and hard edges and joyful moments encompassing all of this this manifesting world that's constantly flexing and, and interreacting perceptions of myself perceptions of others wondering what they think of me hoping I'm doing good enough feeling very pleased and happy with this person slightly regretting my interaction with this person (laughs) and all this in the past in the present and wondering how it's going to be in the future this is this is the world and if you as you See, normally your normal attention it just runs along in that, this to that. And now instead of doing that movement, well, it's the encouragement, it's just the, you know, you can get to the essence of what the world is about right now. And you're open to expand, expand your, your attention. Yeah. It's very open. Expand your intention. So the intention is consistently dispassionate, graceful, kind, 
and you expand your intention to in, include that. And this is uh, also very much dependent upon one's um, understanding of what this world is, this world that we're talking about, directly experienced world. Mm. And there are various ways in which this is described. Um, um, and uh, so they described uh, of the five khanda is one way it's described. Khandas mean sections or groups or you know, in which we experience uh, fundamentally uh, the mind, the chitta moves into consciousness. So it's this kind of unfolding of consciousness. And if consciousness, if you get that particular, what that means is six, six itself, it's six, it's not even one. So each of these aggregates, or kanda, which are five, itself is made up of many different bits. It's like like uh, five ropes, that all, each one was made out of separate strands of twine that form these ropes, and these ropes together form a net that the jitta opens this net to try to find something it can hold on to in that this is the net and rather like a, a spider you know produces the thread from its own body the jitta produces its aggregates these ropes and strands and sections from its own vitality its own uh, sensitivity its own intelligence, you know, its intelligence can be misguided. And this is because we, in this coming into birth, then we arise, Chitta arises in a, in the experience of consciousness. Consciousness comes as sight consciousness, sound consciousness, um, nose consciousness, taste consciousness, touch consciousness, and mind consciousness. Six. Uh, and so with that, we, the experiences of there being a, a manifold world of sights and sounds and impressions, which we think, well, there is, isn't there? Mm, kind of. Yeah. Well, you could say that. But <laughs> if you uh, really study it quite closely, or you look at it more directly, you see, actually, what there is in this in this consciousness experience, you have mind consciousness, which is interpreting the rest and focusing on details, and that's what gives the experience of external form. So, for example, very very simply speaking, to give you an example, as far as my eyes can tell, none of you have any backs. You're all backless people. You actually only have two dimensions. You're flat, <laughs> as far as my eyes can see. You just these colours and, and shapes. But I'm not even certain there are people because there's just this band of varying colours. Yeah. That's what my eyes see. It's this great band from here to here with these colours that suggest shapes. Yeah. Now this would not get you to work in the morning very well, but that's what your eyes see, right? Uh, but you notice that uh, 
what happens is that the mind says, well, look at that. You know, that's that piece. So it kind of draws an imaginary line around it. If you look at the chair, you see there's the white, then there's the kind of orangey, and there's the brown bit, and it draws a line. That piece is the cushion, that's the wall, and that's the back of the chair. That sort of mind helps to differentiate those colours. Right? So it's mind consciousness attacks onto that, if that's that. And it adds an inference, like that, that, that thing is three-dimensional. And as it does so, I'm here looking at it. So that's what consciousness does. The mind consciousness adds that, it adds, which is, you know, that's functional. But the mysterious thing that it adds to it is I'm here watching it. And this I'm here that's watching it, I've never been able to detect that at all, where that is. Clearly it's not something I can see, it must be... But I've never actually been able to pin it down what it is. But it keeps happening. This kind of resonance, the I am resonance, which acts, which arises dependent upon consciousness. Not only that, but um, we don't, act, we very rarely, you know, see things uh, even in that simple three-dimensional way. We see things as, oh, that's a rather nice chair. Chair? What do you mean chair? I mean a particular structure made of, of with four legs on it. It's not a cow. It's a chair. So we recognise it as something. Right? Uh, when does a chair stop being a chair? If you took one leg off, would it be, still be a chair? Probably it'd be not a very good chair. <laughs> There's a certain chairishness. <laughs> and at a certain point, it would no longer be a chair, it'd be firewood. <laughs> Even though all the pieces are still there, it's the assembling of them into a particular recognisable shape that gives it a chip, makes it a chair. And you can have the same pieces of wood disassembled and it would just be firewood. And you stick it, oh, it's a chair now. Where did it go? It didn't go anywhere. It's still there. But we just changed the formulation of it. So there's this sense of meaning arises, perceptual meaning. That's a chair. And that's not all. Because what all happens is, that's a really nice chair. That's wonderful how they did that. Beautifully carved. So another piece arises. And of course you might think, no, it's a piece of rubbish. <laughs> Yeah, get those chairs a ten a penny down, you know. I think no, it's a classic piece of masterpiece. You know? And certainly you can do that with paintings, can't you? What's that horrible spotty score? It's a magnificent piece of abstract art. Really? Well, somebody's kicked a paint pot over to me. That's because you're a Philistine, you don't understand. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> what is it? Yeah. So these, this, these addings of meanings are called perceptions, or sanya, and where are they? Who's right? And uh, associated with that is a quality called feeling, pleased, agreeable. I could stay with that for a while, or I don't want to be with that at all. You know, it'd be nice if that was out of the way, it's ugly. Mm preference of some kind, so a vibration starts moving. 
And uh, the more those meanings crystallize, the more defined I become, the more activated, the more energized, the more thoughtful, the more emotionally stirred I become. So this process goes both ways. The world creates me, I create the world. This thing goes on. It's then around that vibration and preferencing, another piece occurs which is called Sankara, which means activity, roughly speaking. I want one of those. A little boop leaps up. Could you pass me that? Could you take that out of the way? Could you bring it closer? Action. Activity occurs. And that's even a very simple thing. And so this is a very simple model. Oh, there's, there's the world. It's arising. Close your eyes. Is the chair still there? Now, chairs, of course, are not the most um, passionately evocative experiences we have, but people are. And you run the same thing about uh, a person. What do you see? Shape? Body? Man, woman? And then, you know, perhaps a name? And perhaps how you feel about them? And you feel pleased or threatened, attracted, beautiful man, beautiful woman, and so forth. All this kind of thing going. And then activities. I'd like to be with him or her, or what does she think about me, or, you know, stirrings. And that's without anything actually happening, just the raw material. Things start moving. And I define myself in terms of how that impression is that, I've, that my mind has generated. Now that's moving. And then that kind of push pull of, you know, oh, should I, should I, shouldn't I? Am I being a nuisance? Is this okay? What's supposed to be happening here? Uh, you know, and this mental agitation occurs. This is all generated. The world is generated through this process of this activation of consciousness. And we begin to perhaps uh, recognize over time that some of our perceptions were not that clear at first. They were just quick. You know, it seems a strange looking fellow. And after a while, oh, he's really okay. Yeah, I like him a lot. What happened? You know, started to do some fine tuning on behaviours and actions and how you interact. And oh yeah, nice man, good luck. Yeah. So it starts to establish itself, doesn't it? Then they live inside you. Of course, they don't live inside you, but the perception lives inside you. Yeah. It lives inside you, so you remember them, and you think about them, and you worry about them. So the world arises internally. And this, uh, of course, this is still a very simple model for our for our lives, isn't it? Where there's a huge amount of stuff. There's furniture. There's rent. There's work. There's children. There's dogs. There's houses. There's politics. There's where they're all churning away inside, or seemingly inside. Because also inside what? Yeah. 
<laughs> inside my mind. Where's your mind then? <laughs> inside my heart. Where, where's that then? Yeah. How is it inside, outside? Inside. So yeah, as you radically kind of start checking some of these reference points, you see they're all really just, uh, well, illusory. Doesn't mean they don't, they can't be used by by any means. This is kind of the way experience happens. It doesn't mean you can't relate to it and use it, but it's really quite questionable. You know, the, the final reality of things. You know, is that person threatening or a nice guy? Well, he's nice to me, but he's threatening to her. <laughs> you know, or so, and so on and so on and so on. And then yesterday she was like this, and today she's changed. Now she's like, who is she? So you know, this is very unstable, uncertain experience that's going on. So naturally, the chitta is trying to come to terms with all this to get it steady, and it doesn't get steady because we're dealing with something that's essentially constantly being generated, like a waveform. It's constantly generation like a computer one is computer designed wave patterns that just keep bubbling away you know sort of resembling having a certain sense of consistency but actually subtly shifting and changing and you can never actually pin it down to one thing and then the big question is well who's this and where am i you know, because I could say I'm in this room, but I walk outside, I could, I'm still here, but the nature of here is, looks different now. I'm always in the middle of the space that I'm inhabiting. There's a rise in this way and that way. I'm also in the middle of my life. I've been in the middle of my life since I was born. <laughs> I was born middle-aged. <laughs> Because there's a future behind, there's a future in front and a past behind. How come I haven't, haven't changed at all? Well, the locus of knowing, of awareness, doesn't change. It is, that's true. You're always in the middle. Yeah. That's the locus, the location of your chitta. <laughs> the location of it doesn't change it's in the middle of your world the world changes you know the forms the feelings the perceptions the impulses the that all changes but the here-ness was always here that's all it is it's a very simple <laughs> that's it now yeah and it's also um aware Here and it's aware. And so, uh, uh, a skillful person who's begun to survey this and even grasp some of it, even fuzzily, as I think we might begin to do, or perhaps you're very doing it already, will recognize well, this is the most stable, direct, realizable reference point. This is what I. This is what should be made strong. This is what should be encouraged. 
this is what should be really attended to, and the world will change as it does. And even with a little bit of practice, you begin to recognize that the more this here, now, location, is supported, strengthened, referred to constantly, the world that changes around you doesn't knock you around so much. It doesn't uh, cause you so much stress. Uh, it doesn't uh, bother you too much. Uh, because you're not inclined, you're, you're, you're not asking it to be what it isn't. <laughs> you're not asking it to be permanent, stable, reliable, constantly happy and agreeable. Which is what we'd rather like. If somebody said, what would you like? I'd say, well, I'd like things to be steady, agreeable, friendly, warm, constantly. That would suit me fine. <laughs> but actually, you're asking something of the, of the sense consciousness that you can't provide. He says, no, I'll give you sights and sounds, if you like. But I won't, I won't give you pleasure <laughs> constantly. Agreeable. Yeah. We're asking, but then this sense of the here and the now, if we gather ourselves into that, gather energy into that, gather awareness into that, there's a sort of unhooking from that dependence on consciousness and form and perception and feeling and mental activations. You're not so stirred by them disappointed by them and the forms they create. This is a very firm centre. It's also very open. Because it's not in... uh, (laughs) If you recognize it, uh, either the, the problem with consciousness is, uh, yeah, is that it always, it, uh, visual consciousness goes so far and it hits a boundary. Yeah. It's the wall, or it's the floor, or it's the person. It's as far, it hits something, doesn't it? Visual consciousness is limited. It hits something. And that something causes a sort of closure of the visual consciousness. No, we don't, not that we show it, shut our eyes, but the sense of the, the openness of it is limited by form, by sight, and so forth. So I'm hemmed in. Now you can imagine if there were another 40 people in this room, it would be really rather uncomfortable. You know, pressing like that, and feel like, oh, really, I feel pretty squashed in here. I'm hemmed in. How can I be open when all these people are around? Because that's the visual consciousness would see, would get give us that experience. Our consciousness is limited by sight, by sight objects. And of course, we're mostly visual, but um, there's also, you know, the other basis. But the other prominent one is the mind consciousness. Hmm? Which is so we're sitting here, maybe there's nothing particular to think of. Oh God, I'm overwhelmed with all these thoughts. 
no space at all. I'm getting this stuff out of my head. I feel I need to be spacious. Look, I, mean, I, don't, I don't see any thoughts running around. What's the problem? Thought consciousness, limit, you know, does shut us in, doesn't it? I mean, you could sometimes disagree, but it's nice to know there's that and that and that and that and that, that and that and that. So there's a certain attraction to it. I've got that place on Friday, and that's what I'm doing next year. I've got it nicely organised, and that's so and so, and how to do it. Yeah, all set up. But then, uh, how long does that stay before this doesn't and that doesn't, and then something else has to be dealt with, and gradually it fills up. And the more you try to sort it out, the fuller it gets. So you eventually you find the sense of space there isn't any and you can be sitting in the middle of an open field completely flooded with no space and seemingly crushed thoughts of course emotions do the same thing don't they you know you can feel completely flattened by an emotion so these are qualities that arise in consciousness and they limit they limit our space you could say so much so that we don't even really recognize the possibility of boundlessness openness we're open so far and then something and then yeah i see something and then we're limited and then i feel okay i'm here he's there we've got this much space between us and so on I'm limited by, okay, it's 10 o'clock in the morning, I've got an hour until this happens. So therefore, I haven't got much time. Squashed by that. By what our thinking mind creates. Something that quite likes it, because it gives us something to to organise ourselves around. But there you are, you look in a clock which has this number 10 on it, and so now it's called 10 o'clock. This means there'll be 11 o'clock, and that means an hour. Not much time. Where did you know? <laughs> and already I'm feeling, oh, I'm going to do this one. Oh, I don't know if I can manage all this. I mean, we're limited by that. And yet, where's 10 o'clock? Where's 11 o'clock? Um, What gives them their their effect? Our belief in them. Our being ruled by them. Our being in a society that's ruled by them. That's what gives them their power. And yet, there aren't any ten o'clocks, are there? Just notice the effect of, of how thinking limits you. And we can think some fantastic things. We can think about infinity, the nature of the cosmos, uh, whether there's a God or not, or why the reason the beginning of the universe, or the Higgs boson stuff, it seems fantastic. We can think of infinity, we can't experience it. Because the very thought of thinking shuts it down. Yeah. And it has, and so this, this occludedness stirs us, stirs the chitta, it feels trapped in this. In the monastery, we have uh, um, 
morning meeting occasionally. We used to have him every day, but now he has him one a week or so. So this group of people, we will sit in a room, and the tea goes round and so on, and then somebody gets the, the sheets out and says, okay, here's the roster, here's the rotor for this week. Okay, family doing this, and venerable son so you're doing that, and then on Friday we've got a school group, a Friday school group coming, and imagine there's a builder's going to drop off some building materials on Tuesday after Tuesday afternoon. And his son's at a dentist appointment on Wednesday. Wednesday afternoon, appointment. Do we have a car for that? Could Mike, could you drive the car? Mike's driving the car Wednesday afternoon. Dental appointment Tuesday, Friday, builders and builders. We've got to do this by... Um, oh, but if we, get the, if we can get all those logs in this afternoon, because the logs in this afternoon. And so I'm overwhelmed. There's <laughs> too much to do. Oh, you, don't, you only sat, you just sat there. You didn't do anything. <laughs> I, can, I want some space. I want some peace. I came to monastery to find some peace and quiet. I'm just overwhelmed. <laughs> but you just sat there, didn't you? Heard some, for every one of these, my mind translated into these strange dhammas. Dhammas are things that have a poignant feeling to them. right? So, you know, the sound it's time to chop the logs it's just a series of sounds but when it acquires a felt meaning it becomes a direct touches the heart with urgency purpose heavy difficult a lot to do <laughs> right and you're bound by that and, and, and overwhelmed by that and this is the nature of perceptions and thoughts trigger perceptions Probably most of our perceptions are triggered by thoughts. Certain amount perceptions are triggered by sights, mostly sights, sounds a little bit, mostly sights and thoughts. And these limit us. And suddenly you feel we're in a very busy, dense world. Uh, and you say, of course it's busy and dense. I've got to do that by four o'clock, and somebody's going to see me at five thirty. And remember that there is my mother's birthday next tomorrow. I've got to buy a present. Very dense world, yeah. yeah, yeah, but now, now, but now, here, now, what? Do you see? It's a, it's as dense as your en- as your energy going out to it, and firming it up is what makes it dense. Is it possible to stay in your centre? You don't feel that spinning out into it. Or at least you can moderate it to a degree. So if I'm going to move out, I'm not going to move out with agitation and fear. I'm not going to move out with stress and worry. I'm not going to move out with, I've got to do this... I've always got to do this. I never get a chance to have a break. <laughs> I'm not going to move out to, I'm really not wanted here, I'm a nuisance here, I can't throw logs around anyway. <laughs> you know, which you can do. Uh, everybody else is throwing logs around, I'm too stupid and old and weak to do it, so I'm useless. Nobody said that except you. <laughs> you know? How did that all happen? Just these kind of ricochets of what thoughts and perceptions and meanings do to us. 
and they're very complex and they're all quite understandable I can sympathize with almost all of them our worlds are really not that different you may think oh being a monk is totally different experience details (laughs) (laughs) I'm a human being actually (laughs) and this is what human beings experience you know and that the way the mind runs out the experience fear obligation anxiety uh, wondering uh, being accepted not accepting comparing oneself with others feeling not as good as feeling you've got to do it all feeling you can't do it anything at all all this kind of mishmash goes on and uh, and and once we're so welded to it and so in that welding to it, we go around trying to fix all the bits and pieces of the reality that our mind has created. Yeah. Now the, the radical solution is just go back to the centre. Like, not the ten minutes. Five minutes. A minute? <laughs> yeah. And you can make a practice of it when you're on retreat, just keep pulling yourself back to the centre. Not not from negativity or panic, just noticing. There was all this thing about, I've been here three days, and what three days? What are you talking about? You said, there's a memory. That's better. Memories arising now. And, oh, tomorrow I'm going to... What, what are you talking about tomorrow? How do you know what tomorrow is? It hasn't arrived yet. How do you know what's going to happen tomorrow? Since it's not here. That's called expectation. Isn't it? You start to look at these programs. Right? And are these programs blended with anxiety, um, desire, regret? Because in some ways... This structure of consciousness is just how it is, but notice how these negative effects start to creep in, dependent on how solid and how trapped we feel by them, how fixed we feel by them, how closed we feel by them. I've got to do this by Thursday. Dong. Closed. That's very closed, isn't it? So, in that closure, what happens? The jitta feels restricted. Feels pressure. I've got to do this by Thursday. Or, Alice will never listen to me anyway. No matter what I do, she's never going to listen to me. Closed. Because because of this she said, and this she never does, and I know her, and she's that way. Closed. Now, when the jitta is in its closed state... Does it feel happy or unhappy? Unhappy. Does it feel buoyant, bright? No. Does it feel agile? No. <laughs> Can it feel a sense of radiance or spreading? No. So this constriction has deprived us, deprived the chitta, deprived the heart of potential. And a potential that we may not even realise was there. 
because we've been so acclimatized to generating the process of this world generating and investing it with all kinds of fixed established realities like that is Alice she is that she always is that that is Thursday and it always has to be done on Thursday no matter what and I am this way and I can't help it you know that's the closure and consciousness sets up a very easy paradigm for us to get closed in by because I can only see this far now if we don't focus on seeing how far does your awareness go is there anything that you cannot be aware of Hmm? is awareness closed by anything that is I can be aware of the wall, I can be aware of thinking about it, I can be aware of liking it, disliking it. So, is there anything that awareness cannot encompass? Is there an edge to awareness? Is there a place where, that's where awareness goes and that's where it stops. I'm not aware beyond that. You cannot find an edge to awareness, you cannot find a limit to it. Can you? You can find a limit to your thought, I don't understand, I don't get that, I can't do that. You can find a limit to that, but you can be aware of that's the limit of thought. I know that, I'm aware that's the end of thought, that's as far as it goes. I'm completely aware of that. And uh, even more uh, wonderfully, <coughs> when we cultivate um, um, these practices we call meditation, we can be aware there's that feeling, there's that emotion, and there it ends. And I'm aware of the ending of it. In that moment when there's the ending of something in my mind, I feel the sense of, oh, it may not be for long, because instead of being occupied with the content of consciousness when the content of consciousness dips or fluctuates or dissolves for a moment there's the realization of an unbounded awareness so it's open it's always open it's completely open and uh, all the mental constructions of the mind consciousness they can be known as arising, passing, ending and the Buddha said this place where the mind ends this should be known you should know the place where the mind ends you go, what? how do you know know where your mind ends? Because in this instance we're talking about the mind consciousness, that which distinguishes objects, that which picks up an object, translates it into a thought, creates it into a memory. That's what we call by mind, manas. And you can be aware of that phenomenon, that catching hold of a concept, that catching hold of a description, and the playing with it and the fiddling with it, and eventually maybe the 
oh, just leave it alone. And when you're not fiddling with it, playing with it, fascinated by it, hemmed in by it, dominated by it, struggling with it, when all that emotional interaction has ceased, the mental object, the thought, fades. Because there's nothing to keep it going. And you notice that there's where the mind ends. Maybe only for a second, or a moment, or a minute. That's interesting. And this mind was the creator of the world. This mind was the thing that stitched sight to sound. So It stitched a present sight to a memory that looks like Jack, so because I remember him, that shape with that moustache, Jack, got it in my head, that's Jack. Mind did that. Mind says, oh, I owe Jack 500 rand. Oh God, let's look the other way. (laughs) Mind did that. Jack suddenly becomes a figure of threat. (laughs) Mind did that. Poor old Jack, he didn't know that. (laughs) Mind creates the world stitches it together, stitches all the sense data together. So we look at this particular uh, roughly spherical thing, and we go, apple, apple, tastes good, (laughs) want one. (laughs) And whatever other variations we might have on it. So the sight is stitched to a memory of a taste. <laughs> the mind does that. What you see is just sort of a greenish yellow sphere or circle. You want an apple. Tasty apple. Want one. And then get one. Hold it. Tactile. Feel feels like an apple. Crunch. Tastes like an apple. Oh, God. <laughs> it doesn't taste like what I felt. It should taste like what I've got, you know. So you see how the, the mind stitches all these different sense bases together and creates these objects, real objects, but doesn't actually conform to where the heart feels pleasure. Hmm. You know, we see something, oh, this is nice. That's really handy. That's nice, a lovely, pretty colour. I really like that. Get a sense of happiness arising. Oh, look, I could play with that for hours. You click, 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 a little lighter. <laughs> I want one. <laughs> It'd be pleasure. They say, oh, okay, John, here, you can have it. Right. End of pleasure. <laughs> and so on. <laughs> Another thing that let me down. <laughs> no, it didn't let you down. It's doing what it's supposed to do. It's, it's doing what it's supposed to do. It's impermanent, changeable. And it's not stitched into the feeling. <laughs> the feeling is very a visitor to the sense realm. Something that looks like, when we saw it, it looked like it would give us the pleasure. 
does for about a short while and then the pleasure evaporates so because of course there's no pleasure in this at all it's not its fault it just doesn't have pleasure <laughs> it's in here so why do I keep putting this in the heart onto this that's a bad piece of sewing isn't it <laughs> why don't I keep it right here in the heart Instead of stitching onto all this stuff, it's the mind that does it. Yeah. It's, it's called sankara programs that go out and activate. And is it possible to you know, deconstruct, see things with just as they are? Not pleasant, not painful, just. Mm-hmm. And then our movement of the heart then is not pleasure pain, it's uh, more like um, uh, kindness, virtue, uh, useful, not useful. So it's coming from wisdom and appropriate responses that are more useful and give us a more lasting sense of orientation than just pleasant, unpleasant. Now when we come back into this this awareness uh, centre, then awareness is, is open to experience, but its nature is it's not actually stitched to anything. You can be aware because you can be aware of something coming, Something arising, something passing, something going. You can be aware of pleasant, painful. It cannot stitch itself to any of this stuff. Because it, it doesn't actually stick, does it? You know? So you can be aware of a pleasure coming up, being quite strong, and the pleasure moving and fading, and you can still remain aware of that. And you can be aware also of reacting to it, wanting it to be more than it is, and you can be aware of that. But in no way does your awareness itself doesn't do anything, it doesn't change anything, it doesn't stick to anything. You can't say, I was very aware of the pleasure and I was you know, not aware of the pain. <laughs> I was you know, it's it's the whole flow that that we notice. We don't necessarily recognise it with our minds, because our minds as soon as something becomes less pleasant, the mind says, Oh, look somewhere else. Don't notice that. That sight's not so good, so let's have a taste instead. Go to that. And that's that's finished, so let's have a thought. So, of course, the mind keeps shifting around yeah, to like a hot potato looking for the sweet spot. But if you stay with, and this train just staying with an object, a thought, a taste, and you notice the tasting the apple and the first bite, eating your food, you're hungry, first mouthful, wow, great, second mouthful, pretty good, third mouthful, that's interesting, what's that, fourth mouthful, that's nice, fifth mouthful, what am I going to do this afternoon, sixth mouthful, she's looking, that's a funny looking woman over there, isn't it, you know, when I was on a treat last year, they produced this wonderful semolina, you don't even notice you're eating anymore, (laughs) 
because you know the immediate pleasantness has disappeared or done its thing, and the mind just skips on to something else. Just stay with, stay with an action through that unfolding of feeling and shifting, and you that and you, and you realize okay, then you're staying in connected or your mind is then connected to awareness you're really noticing there's nothing wrong with the food absolutely nothing wrong it's doing as good as food can do but that's as good as it can do it can give you a pleasantness and then that will shift there's nothing going wrong that's what it does that's what everything does and maybe another thing will do the same thing rolling on so in awareness, nothing can be, you realize nothing can be held on to. This is a very, but you're open to it all. You know, if you give a permanent pleasure, I'll have that, bring it on. <laughs> have you found it? <laughs> it gets even more, uh, more valuable when you realize this is such a thing as a permanent displeasure. And you might say physical discomfort is, but you notice it's actually pulsing and shifting and changing. And the more you linger, you're able to spread your, keep awareness rather than mind engaging with it. Rather than mind, I don't want, no, no, why should it, oh no, how can I deal with this? And just be aware of it. Then the degree of the displeasure shifts. And even more powerfully mental displeasure, which is, perhaps the more continual form of discomfort, mental displeasure. This is boring. Stay with it. No, I don't want to stay with it. I'm bored with it. Just stay with it, even though it's boring. Eventually your mind stops getting negative. It's just... Stay with it. And certainly in... uh, monastic life this is pretty much the standard the phrase is patiently bear with it (laughs) sounds wonderful doesn't it and this is not necessarily physical agony it's just tedium sometimes tedium because it's pretty much here we go again another morning puja another this another sweeping another this and it's routines and routines and routines you know, so the, nothing to look forward to. And your mind doesn't, doesn't like that at all. Your mind doesn't like not having some idea to play with about what we're going to do tomorrow. What we do tomorrow is pretty much what we're doing today. <laughs> <laughs> and it goes on. <laughs> but... So you thought, okay, well, and then you get bored, indifferent, you don't want to be there, you feel crushed by it, negative, my life, I'm, I'm wasting my life here, it's totally boring, I could do something interesting, I could be playing the guitar, canoeing down the Amazon, playing guitar while canoeing down the Amazon, <laughs> <laughs> anything. I'll sit here with the same person sitting next to me as we've seen there for three years, who I don't like anyway. <laughs> Because he sniffs and coughs. <laughs> you know, they say, just stay with it. 
until eventually your mind kind of <laughs> stops doing it. You think, oh, you, you, that's the point. Take to the where, the where the mind stops creating things and phenomena. Yeah. Plenty of space here. It's always open, always clear. You know, quite wonderful. And it's firm. And you firm it up. Because awareness is not restricted by sights, sounds, memories, perceptions. It flows. They all arise within it. And they pass within it. It's our emotional engagement with thoughts and perceptions, memories and hopes and ideas that constricts the space. And the simple nature of jitta is that when it's constricted... It's not restful, it's not happy, it's not completed. It's, it's, it's under stress and dukkha. Mm-hmm. So we start to bear with it, open up to experience as it happens and changes, and begin to recognize how the limitations of consciousness very much become aspects of our identity. You know? That is the way that we, particularly the way our mind has constructed things, then we become, this invisible self becomes configured in line with the restrictions that our thinking mind has created. So you might very well think of yourself as a, whatever, a dentist or something. Whether you know, to work tomorrow and pull people's teeth out all day long, you look at, you know, looking down on the mouth of people, you know, that's, so now you've, now you've restricted yourself to that. Uh, you're a businessman, I've got to work tomorrow, nine to five, and a company will me to do this, and you created that. And sure, people will certainly support you in that, in that, that restriction. Hmm? But that's created by the mind, isn't it? Right now, as far as I can sense, I don't sense any monks here. I don't feel any monk. There's not. I don't feel a monk in the room. I don't sense that somebody who just arrived here a few days ago. I don't sense that at all. Who's that? What I sense is presence, sitting, tending, listening, certain energies arising. I'm aware of that. And of course, at any given moment, one could pick up convention hey, well, yeah, I'm, I'm a Buddhist monk I only got here four or five days ago that's me, this one work, but to what extent are you tethered to that are you, what extent are you tethered to that thinking that will give you a kind of a, or not exactly thinking but on this kind of unconscious unchallenged belief that this gives you a sense of something solid, a person, identity and that, that's, that's it and you want to be a good one. 
the one that people like, the one that's able to do things, the one that's good, a good job, that's what you want to be. And now that's, that's as good as it's going to get, and you, and you can get pretty good at it. That's really selling yourself short, you know. It doesn't mean, you know, like myself, it doesn't mean I, I don't have particular, you know, on some level duties, places to go, things that I'm concerned with, things I'm involved with, but now, none of that there, it's not there. You can move into it and you can move out of it. That's the point of having a reference point to a firm centre that at the same time has no boundaries to it. There can be you can be aware of feeling unhappy, difficult, stressed, tired, rather un, you know, you are aware of them when they happen. But of course your mind says, I don't want this one. But that's what's happening. But I don't want it, yeah, but that's what's happening. But it shouldn't be this way. Yeah, but that's what's happening. But why did I get to be this way? That's what's happening. Be aware of it. But why? (laughs) Because this is the way out of suffering. (laughs) Because you'll feel the sense that I'm no longer restricted by this. I'm no longer bound up by this. I'm no longer emotionally challenged and struggling with this. It's just, that's the conditioned realm is like this so even within your activities it's possible to find that place and then you're operating rather coolly flexibly agile I'll do this and we'll see how it goes it's not I've got to do this so that things will be fine things are not going to be fine things will just change we'll just do this because then why do anything? Because there's a sense of, you know, wishing or to bring forth to our life. If you get that right, then there's a possibility to steer your life. You know, one of the questions is, well, how do you get uh, Dhamma practice to fit your daily life? It's actually the wrong way round. How do you get your daily life to fit Dhamma practice? <laughs> you know, because this is this is this is you know, when you touch into this stuff, you know, and you touch it and you get some realizations. Even when you think this is actually the real thing, the rest of it's just a bit of a charade that I'm involved with, being having been born and having this body and needing food. I've got to go through this performance. I'm in the circus you like sangsara circles circus but this is the real thing because here there's a sense there's no stress there's no pressure there's no obligation there's no must or mustn't about it and the i am sense is quiet not trying to make something or stop something it's quiet the sense of presence in here but this isn't something that I've generated as a belief or an act of will. It's, a, it's what happens when I stop generating. 
Therefore it's called the ungenerated, the unconditioned, uncreated, unborn, unconditioned. And we say this this is actually this is the real thing. And the rest of it, so when you're finding that, the mind is no the chitter is pretty open and comfortable and at ease, because it's not restricted by consciousness, in that state of ease and dispassion, it's agile. Therefore, we can play in the circus, but we're not bonded to it. <laughs> you see what I mean? Because the, the jitter is not invested in that, just playing in the circus. Okay? And then for as long as it lasts or as long as it's suitable if you get that right you'll realise you'll begin to get the sense of your energies towards duties and so forth should have this quality of play now you may think this is childlike and perhaps it is but the difference between work and play is work is always goal oriented I will feel satisfied when I get the job done at the end of the week or the end of the year. So it's always that. And I'm not there yet. Play is always, I'm satisfied in the, in the flexibility and the playing with this. The reward is right now, not at the end of the week. <laughs> with play, there's creative zest, there's interest. There's flexibility. With work, there's program, duty, fixed model. You're on the track to get to the end of it. Play is when we're most alive, vital, vibrant, awake. Work is when we're most dogged, dumb and programmed. The ideal is to create zombies. (laughs) You're in corporate world, you realise... The perfect corporate person is a zombie. <laughs> That's what we're trying to breed. <laughs> they work until they drop. <laughs> and they believe in it totally. Yeah. So when you start to really turn it around, saying, what, having this uh, potency of chitta with its amazing capacity to expand and flow and step, stop and suffuse with goodwill and maintain moral standards these are the exercises you feel, really what, what is the suitable way to express that in terms of how you live your life this means we really keep that sense of freshness and ability to reset what we're doing this realization of the unconditioned then is not just some sort of you know, esoteric remote possibility for adepts only. It certainly is. It takes some doing to get there. But the idea also is that it makes your life more comfortable. <laughs> because as the Buddha said, the only thing I really teach is the ending of suffering and stress. And this is how it comes around. So we've done some modelling on the centres, you know, the firm centre uh, in terms of the uh, behaviour is morality. Firm centre in terms of uh, relationship is loving-kindness, goodwill. Firm centre in terms of the body 
is the upright axis and breathing in and out the firm center in, ter- in firm center in terms of consciousness is awareness you're aware of consciousness you're in the center of it you're not confused by it and your awareness can stays moored in that so let's take some time for direct practice again it comes down to very you know simply just really noticing uh, you know the arisings and passings of thoughts and impressions and the snagging and the flurrying and just beginning to recognize how, how much one snags worries wobbles with experience it keeps going so if you could just lessen the amount of you know afflictive interaction with what you're experiencing <laughs> that would be a, quite a breakthrough <laughs> and you begin to see you can have experiences you don't particularly like but that's okay that's okay it will pass it's okay and not experiences are not especially fascinating or rapturous that's okay because you're not hanging on to any of it and you feel that delicious lightness and ease and smile of the Buddha. Mm. 